Take your Bibles out and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 as we continue our series through the book of Colossians. We just got started in that, of course, last week. Find chapter 1, verses 9 through, 12, uh, 9 through 14 this morning. We'll be looking at the subject matter, a prayer for spiritual growth in the context of a hostile world. I hope you have the sermon notes page today and we'll take some notes as you go through this because I'd like to give you some, uh, some petitions to literally be praying in your devotional life every day. Would you stand please for the reading of God's Word and we're going to pick up in verse 9 and we will read down through verse uh, 14. Paul says there, And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you for this prayer. And what we learn about prayer through the prayer of the Apostle Paul. Lord, we know that oftentimes we don't know how to pray. And I pray at times like that we would take the prayers of the Bible and that we would pray the prayers of the Bible for our loved ones. Because God, we know that if we're praying the prayers of the Bible, we're praying according to your will. And 1 John 5 says if we pray according to your will, we can have the confidence that we will have the petitions that we ask. So Lord, teach us through this prayer how to pray, how to intercede for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think one of the most most important or most uh, awe-inspiring illustrations I've ever heard on intercessory prayer comes from the pen of Shirley Dobson. Now, of course, Shirley Dobson is the wife of Dr. James Dobson, who is now retired from leading Focus on the Family. Shirley Dobson writes, she says, you know, with Jim traveling the way that he always traveled, she said, I was at home with the children, and one of our constant prayers while Jim was on the road was that God would watch over me and the kids and help me as I looked after the kids and that we would be safe and that we would not even have to worry about bad things happening. 
And she said, uh, God gave Jim and I a tremendous peace that he would answer that prayer and that he would watch over Jim's family. And she said, I've always been able to lay down at night and put my head on the pillow and go to sleep and sleep in peace all night long with the exception of one time. She said that one time at 2 a.m. I woke up startled. And a tremendous fear like I cannot even put into words overcame me. And I sensed immediately that I needed to roll out of bed, get down on my knees and pray. And that's exactly what I began to do. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I got back in the bed and after a few minutes I was able to go back to sleep in peace. She said, the next morning, the teenager across the road who babysat for us came running across the road and knocked on our door and said, Mrs. Dobson, did you hear what happened last night? And she said, no, I didn't. What happened? She said, your neighbor next door was broken into and the burglar actually went into the bedroom where the couple was sleeping. And she said, when did this happen? And the girl said, police have determined it happened at 2 a.m. She said, that's precisely when I woke up with great fear and I prayed. She said, you know, Jim and I have often taught if a burglar was going to break into our home, we knew exactly where he would break in. So I went outside, I walked around the house to that particular entry point and I examined the window and sure enough, the window screen had been pried back, bent back, everything you could tell everything, all of the damage was fresh. The windowsill had been splintered and somebody had tried to get in that entryway. She said, I believe God woke me up to pray. Intercessory prayer. Folks, we know prayer is important in the life of the church, in the life of a believer. In fact, somebody's wisely said the church moves forward on her knees, and that's true. You and I need to be interceding for one another in prayer because in prayer, prayer moves God's hands. God plainly tells us in His Word that He is going to work. He's sovereign and yet He tells us He's going to work through the prayers of His people. Now a lot of times our prayer is reactive praying. We react to something we hear about, a crisis. A lot of times it seems to be a physical need. We hear of somebody's physical need or we have a physical need. And so we pray for that. We know exactly what to pray for. We simply pray for the physical need. I'll be praying for one of those needs. Gary Klein in our church. Probably in 26 years of ministry, I don't know that I've ever had a better friend in the ministry They've determined this week he's got liver cancer and it's migrated there from somewhere else also. We need to be praying for Gary Klein. Many people like that, you know, you need to be praying for their physical needs. We know how to do that. But what about proactive praying? 
proactive praying for spiritual needs. A lot of times people say, Pastor, I don't know exactly what to pray for. I know I ought to be praying for people's spiritual needs too, but oftentimes I get on my knees and I run out of anything to pray for. I don't know how to pray proactively for somebody. That's when we ought to be praying the prayers of the Bible. And this is one such occasion right here where we see a prayer in the Bible that we can take and we can pray over the lives of our loved ones. We can proactively pray for their spiritual needs. And that's what we're going to see in this text. We're going we're to see here that we're not simply to pray for physical necessities. While we certainly pray for physical necessities, we are to put a priority on our spiritual well-being in our prayers. And the Apostle Paul models that for us here in this prayer. He offers two petitions. And we're going to look at both of them and then there's four things he's going to say about that second petition. But I want you, again, I, I want you to write down these two petitions. First of all, pray that you and your loved ones might be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Probably the number one question pastors are asked by lay people is, Pastor, can you tell me how to figure out how to discern the will of God? By the way, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson He's now left First Presbyterian in Columbia, South Carolina, moved back to Scotland. Prolific writer. He's got a little book out on knowing the will of God, Sinclair Ferguson. You ought to get that book, Sinclair Ferguson, Knowing the Will of God. It's one of those books that, that men would read. You know, it's like 45 or 50 pages. Number one question, knowing the will of God. And that's what Paul begins to pray for the Colossians. Now I want to remind you again from last week, the Apostle Paul had never met, most likely he had never met the Colossians face to face. Paul had a two-year ministry, at least two years in Ephesus. And you'll recall after he started talking to the Jews there and they rejected him, he went to the rented hall of Tyrannus. And in that rented hall of Tyrannus, we're told that across that two years, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Isn't that a great phrase? All of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And it's believed that Epaphras had journeyed a hundred miles over from Colossae I always say Colossae, but probably it's Colossae. But anyway, he had traveled over from Colossae to Ephesus. He had heard the Apostle Paul preach. He'd become convicted of his sins. He'd become a believer. He carried the gospel back to his hometown of Colossae, and he planted a church there. Now Paul's under house arrest in Rome. It's his first arrest that the book of Acts closes with. And uh, 
Epaphras goes there, tells Paul what the church is facing, the Colossian heresy. Most scholars believe that the Colossian heresy, as I mentioned last week, was a combination of Jewish legalism on the one hand and Greek philosophy on the other hand. There were the Jews in the congregation. Remember, Paul ran into those in writing to the Galatian churches, the Judaizers, who were saying that you needed a Jesus plus something else type of salvation. Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus circumcision. And he had to write to them, no, 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 no. There is no substitute for Jesus. You don't need Jesus plus anything else. Jesus and Jesus alone saves. And so there was that element in the church. And then there's the Greek element in the church too, the Greek philosophers. Some people believe maybe it was an early form of Gnosticism. Gnosis, knowledge, the Gnostics. They believe that, okay, if you have Jesus, that's okay, but you also need this special knowledge. And so you have both of these elements in the church. And they're competing for prominence in the church. And Paul's writing this letter to show both sides how they've got it all wrong. Because again, they're looking for something besides Christ and Christ alone. And so he writes this letter to them and right away he tells them that he's praying for them and the first thing he says he's praying for them is that they would come to truly understand the will of God. He prays that they might be filled with a knowledge of the will of God. The word that he uses here is the same word that was used of the disciples for instance when the disciples were told by Jesus that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to suffer and he was going to be rejected and mocked and crucified. When Jesus told them that, the Bible says they were filled with sorrow. Same word. Stephen, one of the first deacons in the New Testament church, we meet him in the book of Acts. The the book of Acts says Stephen was filled with faith. It's the same word that was used of sails, wind, catching a ship and moving that ship along. The wind would would fill the sails and, and catapult that ship across the ocean waters. The word means that you would be fully equipped. You know, life is like a journey. It's like a voyage. Paul wants them well equipped for their journey. If they will begin to understand the will of God and will commit themselves to the will of God, then so many other things pertaining to the Christian life will fall into place. Folks, all Christians, especially new Christians, need to understand that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You no longer belong to yourself. Once you are dictated, though, by your will, Your pleasures, your purposes. But when God saves us, we are now His. He has a will. He has a purpose. And we are to be knowledgeable of that will. God said through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Folks, don't discount knowledge. 
When it comes to the things of God, you and I need to have knowledge so that we can have discernment. Now, we'll see in a moment that we got to do something with that knowledge. It's not knowledge alone, but it's not bad to have knowledge. That's why I encourage people to study theology and study their Bible. Gain knowledge. The more you know of God, the more you know of how He has operated with His people through the generations, the more you're going to be able to discern how God works in your life get knowledge don't discount it but so many people don't have knowledge of the will of God and so they're confused about what their purpose on earth really is they might think it has to do with their job or the balance in their checkbook, or what kind of possessions they have, or how their kids turn out. And while all of those things are important to us and factor in, we need to understand as believers, we have a larger overriding purpose as believers. And that purpose is you and I are to do the will of God. The will of God is to dictate your life. And so we need knowledge of the will of God. And as I've mentioned to you so many times before, I continue to believe this with all of my heart. I believe the number one way you and I are going to be able to understand the will of God is by being people of the book. And studying the whole counsel of God. Not your favorite books in the Bible. Not your favorite places systematically study all of the Bible and in this word here you're going to see again how God has dealt with his people through the ages and you're going to be able to discern what the will of God is in most circumstances in your life now if you've got a job offer you know you got this job and that job which job do I take the Bible's not going to tell you that the Bible is going to show you principles though that you can use to apply to that but most of life if you will simply know the Word of God become a student of God's Word you will be filled with a knowledge of God's will. If there's one thing I could get Christians to understand, being people of the book, that'll solve so much. Well, I want you to notice here that it is spiritual wisdom that we need in discerning the will of God. Paul says, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We need wisdom from the Spirit of God. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. He teaches us the Word of God and He imparts to us spiritual wisdom the natural man's not able to understand this he's not particularly interested in the Word of God and even when he does read it doesn't make a lot of sense to him the natural man just simply does not understand the things of the Spirit read several years back about a, a an educated man a psychiatrist he was supposed to be a brilliant man highly educated Companies all over America called upon this man to help give them direction in their personnel matters. But inside, this man said he was completely empty. 
It wasn't until he had to scoop his six-year-old son off the bottom of a swimming pool who had drowned that he said he began seeking God and calling out to God and through that he was converted. And this highly educated man said, I cannot believe now how blind I have been all of my life. The natural man is blind to the things of the Spirit. But the Christian is to study God's Word and allow the Holy Spirit to literally shape and transform his life through that. It is spiritual wisdom. Discerning the will of God is spiritual wisdom. It takes the help of the Holy Spirit to know the will of God. But folks, I can tell you if in prayer and humility you will study God's Word with a humble, teachable spirit, asking the Spirit of the living God to teach you, He will teach you. And what you will learn is you will learn so much about the will of God. But you know what you ought to be doing? You and I ought to be praying for our loved ones too, that they would know the will of God. Again, nothing more significant in life than knowing the will of God. And then secondly, going along with that knowledge of knowing the will of God, his second petition, we need to pray that that our loved ones will do the will of God and so walk worthy of the Lord. Do the will of God and so walk worthy of the Lord. He says there in verse 10, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Knowing the will of God is not simply so that we can say that our heads are puffed up with knowledge. The New Testament never holds up knowledge for the sake of knowledge alone. In fact, it says knowledge without love and application does nothing more than puff one up. God imparts a knowledge of His will so that we might get busy and do the will of God. Dwight L. Moody said on one occasion, Every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. Somebody doing the will of God. That's the next petition. That knowing the will of God, they would do the will of God. And he describes that as walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. That you would do the will of God and so walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Again, doing the will of God is expressed here as walking in this manner. And he says, if you walk in this manner, you will be pleasing to the Lord. Is this how you walk? Now I want to say something right now so that you will not misunderstand. I hope we all understand when he says so that you'll be pleasing to the Lord. I hope you understand that you and I can do absolutely nothing to gain our salvation. Some people think if they do enough, some lost people think if they do, in fact, most lost people probably think this, if I just do enough good, 
I will be pleasing to God and God will let me into his heaven. Ephesians 2 says it's not that way at all. Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn your salvation. But having your salvation through God's grace and mercy, I wonder if we walk worthy of it. Folks, we need to, we need to think what we've been saved from. The magnitude of sin that we have been saved from. And I wonder if as a result of that, we submit our lives and yield our lives. We should. And if we'll do that, we will walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord doing His will. Now, walking worthy of the Lord literally means, the Greek word means walking with weight. If you are doing the will of God and walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, you will be somebody who is walking with weight. He's not talking about the scales. He's talking about significance. He's talking about substance. He's talking about impact. If you're doing the will of God, you will be somebody in your walk with the Lord, walking worthy of the Lord. You will be walking with substance, with impact, with weight. Too many Christians want to have weight in their lives in many other ways and they forget the one way that really matters. They may want to have weight. They may want to have influence out on the golf course. They may want to have weight and significance at work, stand out in some way or with a hobby. Maybe they want to stand out as a football player. Again, nothing wrong with any of that. But do we want our Christian walk to have weight to it, substance to it? Imagine praying for your children that once knowing the will of God, they will do it with distinction, with weight. And if they do the will of God with distinction, then they will have impact with their peers, even when their peers don't fully agree with them. Folks, the days of cultural Christianity need to be over. We live in a culture now that is it's an all-out assault against the Christian faith. Okay, It is an all-out assault. Even in the Bible Belt, it is an all-out assault against the Christian faith. More so than ever before, we need Christians today knowing and doing the will of God and walking with weight, walking with substance, walking with impact so that we can be salt and light to this evil age, this dark age. Pray this for your children. Pray that they will do the will of God in a substantive way. Don't simply pray that they'll grow up and be successful in the world. Pray that they will know and do the will of God and that their lives will have impact for the sake of the gospel. It's said that Billy Graham's dad, when Billy Graham was even just a baby and a child, Billy Graham's dad began getting together with a number of other farmers in the Charlotte area. And those farmers began interceding and praying 
that God would raise up somebody from Charlotte who would touch the world with the gospel. Little did Mr. Graham know that God was going to answer that prayer with his own son. Paul said, I pray for you that you may know the will of God so that you might turn around and do the will of God and live a life of influence. And he goes on to say, if you do that, you'll be fully pleasing to the Lord. It pleases God when he sees his children doing his will. Now I want you to see the beauty of what Paul does next. Okay, Don't miss this. I'm not going to get into the technicalities of a Greek grammar lesson or anything like that. But I do want to point out something to you so you'll understand this text better. After giving these two main petitions, that they would know the will of God and be filled with it in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and being filled with the knowledge of the will of God, that they would do the will of God and so walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Paul goes on to give four participles that modify what he has just said about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. You might say, what in the world does that mean? Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, we don't have to guess because through four participles, Paul is going to tell you right here specifically what he means by that. If you're doing the will of God and walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, first of all, He says that you are going to be somebody who is bearing fruit. We are to walk in a way that we bear fruit. You and I will produce some kind of fruit. That's not in question. But the question is, what kind of fruit? Will it be good fruit? You and I are to abide in Christ. He's the vine. We're the branches. We're nothing without him. We're to abide in Christ. And Jesus in John 5 said if we, in John 15 rather, said if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. Paul prayed that these people wouldn't just simply be busy about serving God, but that in every good work they would be bearing fruit. Now, bearing fruit in the New Testament always, always refers to two things. There's the inner fruit and the outer fruit. The inner fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Does your life bear the fruit of the Spirit? You see, when you got saved, a guest moved into your life. And fortunately, he takes over. That's what we want him to do, the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 that at the moment you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You can't even have a spiritual birth apart from the Holy Spirit. 
Being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not some second touch that comes later on. You are baptized in the Spirit the moment of your conversion and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The challenge is now as believers to walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit so we can bear the fruit of the Spirit. Are you walking in the fruit of the Spirit? How about love? How about joy? How about peace? How about long-suffering and gentleness and self-control? Are those the things that, that dictate your life? Or are you negative? Are you critical? Are you full of gossip? Are you full of slander and hatred and everything that characterizes the works of the flesh? Are you full of the Spirit, bearing fruit, the Holy Spirit? Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and meekness and kindness and self-control and gentleness. Does that characterize your life? You know what you could do? You could do a wonderful Bible study, take the ninefold fruit of the Spirit and get a concordance, get an exhaustive concordance and look up every occurrence of peace in the Bible and, and note it down. You could do the same with each of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. Do a study, complete exhaustive study of what the Bible says about joy, what it says about love, what it says about self-control. And you know what? In your devotion time, reading those verses about that ninefold fruit of the Spirit, you could target those areas in your life in prayer. Bearing fruit, the inner sense, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Then the outer sense of bearing fruit is the souls that we impact for Christ. The book of Proverbs in Proverbs 11 says, He that winneth souls is wise. Folks, if you and I are bearing fruit in the inner sense, chances are we're going to impact somebody's life in the outer sense. We're going to be bearing fruit. We're going to be impacting people's lives for Jesus Christ. We're going to be becoming Great Commission Christians. That's why we do missions. So we can bear fruit and touch other people's lives. So... Paul says if you're going to do the will of God and walk in a manner fully pleasing to God, pleasing Him in all respects, again, here's what it's going to look like. You're going to be a believer who will be bearing fruit. Second modifying word that he uses. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Pray that you and your loved ones will be increasing in their knowledge of God. Now he's just prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Here he's praying that they would increase in their knowledge of God himself. Knowing God is the most significant thing that will ever happen in, in your life. Jesus told the woman at the well that if she came to know him, she would have a spring of water within her very soul. Do you know God? 
I didn't ask if you know about God. A lot of times we know about God the way we know about Abraham Lincoln or George Washington. A student goes home, has a paper to turn in on the life of Abraham Lincoln. Does that mean that they know Abraham Lincoln? No, they know about Abraham Lincoln, but they don't know him. Not just knowing about Jesus. but no. You see, we can know Jesus because as opposed to Abraham Lincoln, well, Abraham Lincoln does uh, obviously have life after death, but Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection, he lives. You can have a relationship. You can know somebody who lives. Amen? It's not just knowing about him, but it's knowing him. And that's what makes Christianity different from all other religions. In the religions of the world, people set up idols to their gods and they try to appease their gods, but there is no hope of actually knowing their gods. But Jesus left the ivory palaces of heaven and he came to earth that we might know God. Do you know him? Do you know, are you increasing in your knowledge of God, your intimacy with God, knowing God? Are you increasing in that respect? Third petition. He's praying that they would be strengthened with God's power. And so pray that your loved one, if they're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, doing the will of God, then they're going to need God's power. Verse 11. Remember what Martin Luther wrote in his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He says, Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Paul uses a word here. If we're going to be strengthened with his power, we're going to need patience. And the word is hupomene. The Greek word for patience doesn't mean that you just sit idly back waiting on something to happen. But patience means that you're able to bear up underneath the load of heavy circumstances and bring God glory through that. We need that if we're going to be strengthened with his power. And then he uses the word long-suffering, which has to do with difficult people. Do you know any difficult people? He's praying if we're going to be strengthened with God's power, God's might, not only that we'll have the strength to bear up under difficult circumstances and have patience, but that we will be long-suffering and that we'll be able to bear up under the load of difficult people. And then lastly, notice what he says. He's praying that they would be filled with thanksgiving. If they're going to do the will of God and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing God, they are going to need to be a thankful people. And he says, with joy giving thanks. Now all the translations struggle with what to do with joy at the end of verse 11. I I personally, I think the ESV gets it wrong. It puts joy with verse 11. As Douglas Moo, Douglas Moo, probably the number one commentator on the book of Colossians, 
It goes with thanksgiving. It goes with what follows, not with what precedes. With joy giving thanks. If Christians are going to do the will of God and live in a manner pleasing to God, we are going to have to be a thankful people. Amen? And he goes on to describe, he describes why here. Folks, I want you to notice what he does. Don't miss what he does here, okay? Please don't miss what he does here. Paul begins using Exodus language. Exodus language. Remember the Exodus? Of course you do. The people were in bondage under Pharaoh. God delivered them to give them an inheritance. They become an illustration to us in the church, the New Testament church, of what God has done for us in Christ. There is a new exodus. What do I mean by that? When somebody is saved, they are saved out of the domain of darkness and they're led out, they get a new inheritance just like the children of Israel got that inheritance all the the land was divided up among the twelve tribes we get an inheritance but as Peter says in 1 Peter our inheritance will never fade it'll never be done away with they lost the ten tribes for example The, the Assyrians overran them they messed up with their inheritance guess what, the believer though has an inheritance in heaven with Christ that nothing will ever diminish it in any way. Amen? You've got an inheritance. And you've been delivered out of the domain of darkness, out of the power of Satan, and you've been transferred to the kingdom of God's own beloved Son. That ought to make a Baptist shout. Paul says that's the basis of thanksgiving right there. That's why the Bible says in all things, even difficult circumstances and difficult people, be thankful because you and I need to focus on what Christ, what God has done for us in Christ. Thankful. Bearing fruit. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with God's power and being a grateful people. Those four words or those four phrases that Paul is saying, here's what it will look like when you are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord and doing the will of God. Powerful prayer. In closing, I want you to think with me about a text in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts it says, And when they had prayed, The place was shaken where they were assembled together. When did God work? Did God, when was it? According to Acts 4.31, God worked. It says, when they had prayed. Folks, I believe when we pray, when we pray, when we intercede for people with with an intercessory prayer like this, when we pray something like this prayer, you know what I think we're going to see? I think we're going to see God's work being done in people's lives. Okay? I think we're going to see God's work being done in people's lives. Because we're praying and we're praying biblically.
I wonder who you need to be praying Colossians 1, 9 to 14 for. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for your spouse. Pray it for your children and grandchildren, your parents. Pray Colossians 1, 9 and following. A prayer for spiritual growth in the context of a hostile world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the instructions and prayer that we get in your word. Lord, your word is not given just simply to make us feel good or to entertain us, but it's given that we might be transformed. God, I pray that this passage right here would help transform our prayer lives. When we get down on our knees and we don't quite know what to do to intercede, that we would take this prayer and lay it over top of that loved one that we're praying for. And that we would not give up. That we would pray and keep praying. Be diligent and enduring in our prayer for people. Lord, I pray for that one right now who may be their only prayer at this time. Is God be merciful to me as sinner because they know they're lost. God, I thank you that the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray that you would hear their cry for spiritual deliverance and salvation, that you would forgive them and save them. and Give them courage now to make it public. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.